I met a kid who didn't know he could take a shit. What? There was a kid who... Um, what? He was didn't, from didn't Maine. Didn't know that it was possible? No. He knew. He didn't... Are we recording? Yeah. Nice. Let's go into this. Uh, so this guy that I know, friend of a friend, he told us this story where he was playing football and he got hit really bad. And so he must have done something. Huh. He did something in and around his hip area where um, he did some sort of damage. And it was the kind of thing where he's kind of a dumb kid, and it was something you should have definitely immediately gone to see a doctor for. Just never but he's did. just kind of like, let's just see how it, it plays out, kind of thing. Just let it be. So he um, was having a lot of trouble feeling below his waist, and he said it got to the point where he didn't he didn't know if he needed to go to the bathroom. He was he lost feeling, so he had no idea. Do I need to take a dump? Or don't die. He didn't know, and he he pooped himself several times. And at one point, he's like, "This has happened too many times. I need to go see a doctor." At what point do you admit defeat? Yeah, kind of pretty mentality? much. He's like, "Oh, that's, this is a bad thing." Yeah, I and mean, like for forever, people have have felt like going to a doctor. That's the stereotypical man thing. Like that's admitting defeat, and like like you know, they don't ask for directions. Ex- yeah, stubbornness, stubbornness. Go to the doctor, people. They hopefully know it better than you, but at the same time, I do think that it's that it's uh, helpful, important to know more about your own body, know more about um, like my mom, right? So we were, before we were talking about uh, talking about having these kinds of conversations with families. So she's been going through the crash course and the Khan Academy Anatomies because she's like, I'm getting old, like I'm gonna have to start going to doctors more and more often. I'm gonna have to start knowing what they're talking about. And, I, and she said she feels like if uh, I've got better background knowledge and better context, then I can make better decisions um, and I can listen better when the doctors are talking to me. So people, you got to know your anatomy. Anatomy is important. You might forget uh, forget you have a butthole. That was such a beautiful segue. <laughs> that worked so well. Um, uh, that's the best we've ever done that, I'd say. Welcome to our magical box. Welcome to the Brainwave Podcast, held every week on the aft side of the soundproof box. Two guys talking about science. I'm Pete. I'm Craig. What are we talking about today, Craig? Bones, I think. Bones, I think. Bones, yeah. Bones. Learning about the skeletal system. Where do you want to start? I can, we can talk about what I talked about with my students. I did do a lesson. Uh, it wasn't a particularly good lesson, uh, <laughs> but I did do a lesson for the high school kids, and now uh, we talked about bones, and I'd say the big takeaway is they're not, a lot of people think of them as like, like it's like concrete, it's like there's, it's a material, and it's inside of you, and you're attached to it. Mm-hmm. Like people don't really think of bones as these living, like dynamic objects that organs. are inside of you. Yeah, it is legitimately In the same organ. way that your heart and your lungs and your stomach. Like people, I feel like partly because of tobacco, uh, uh, anti-tobacco stuff, like people think about like their lungs and what it could look like if things are bad or not bad. Um, when they show your lung on smoke, smoker's right, lung. Right, if it's all black. Remember they had that museum nice science. Or even your heart. People like think about heart disease and think about like getting a, a bypass. But people don't think about bones in the same way as that same kind of dynamic and part of you organ almost. I think it's because it doesn't move. Living things don't move. Rocks don't move. Bones don't move. Mm. Bones are like rocks. Bones are like rocks. <laughs> and it's something you 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 get like fixed. Like like just mm-hmm. re That's true. You get a cast. Yeah. And Bones it just, like, break. They don't you don't talk about breaking in any other context. Mm. Like when you get a cut, you don't go out, well you do say I broke the skin, I guess. 
And I think that's more like, like you break a piece of wood. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it yeah. may less to be, be less about them being alive, but still. So bones are in fact these dynamic cell. I mean, there's the made out of tissues, made out of cells. Every little bit of you, for clarity's sake, guys. Let's let's start here. Every part of your body is made up of your own cells. Um, you are just a ball of trillions and trillions and trillions of cells that make up all your skin and your brain and your eyeballs and your bones. So let's get that out of the way. That was another thing we talked about was the number, like when people are trying to guesstimate how many cells are in a human body, those numbers vary widely by like Mm. several orders of magnitude because you can't take a person, chop them up, and then count every single cell. It would take too long. It's not possible. So your best bet is you have to basically guess at what's the average mass of a cell and then look at the average mass of a person and then divide. And that's really the best you can do huh. because you can't take every single thing, put it under a microscope and count because it's not feasible. Hmm. So there's a lot of guesstimation going on because I've heard the low end, like one trillion cells and on the high end, like a hundred trillion cells, which is a pretty big difference. Yeah, it's a big wide range of error. And you know when when very smart people who have all been working on it and all been thinking about it disagree so widely and so consistently that it's something we don't understand very well. Like before we knew how far away the sun was, there's so many different um, examples of estimations and good math, you know, considering the assumptions that they were under at the time, but they just didn't know, they didn't have the, the, the frame shift or the technology. And so you see these really, really wide range of, uh, of estimations narrow really down. And once it's narrow and we get a good consensus and a good way to measure something, then we can agree upon it. But we're not that way with how many cells are in your body. So space is interesting and there's a lot in space and they're so much smaller too. People think about infinity in just one direction, out. out. But it goes it goes down to. I like that website, um, Scale of the Universe. Scale of the Universe is yeah. good. Really cool to look at. Another thing to think about with cells is that there aren't really that many cell types. Like when you look at, we're, we're made of trillions and trillions of cells potentially, but there's only like 200, 250 cell types. There's a lot of them, not many different kinds though. Mm-hmm. But another thing is, because you can talk about lumpers and splitters. It comes up in taxonomy where people go, all of these things that you say are different species, they we should just call them one species. So those are the lumpers. And then there's people who are like, we need to subdivide. Like there's more species and there's these subspecies and all this stuff. And uh, you could say the same thing with your cells. As people do more genetic research and look at basically the genome of a person. Because like when people sequence your DNA, they're only taking potentially one cell or a handful of cells, sequencing them. But being able to sequence DNA from different parts of you, you're going to get different information because they are expressed differently. And it's a weird thing to think about. Every multicellular organism at one point was one cell, mm-hmm. whether it's a plant, an animal, a fungus, whatever. Us, little bugs, the plant in the corner of the room. At <laughs> one point, we were all one cell. That's another thing we talked about in the last podcast is that everything has... Um, it's a film these, of bacteria. Yeah, well, everything has these conserved um, characteristics, and that's a that's proof of our um, re- relativity, our relationship uh, that we're related to things. So we talked about how everything uses DNA. We all use the same genetic code because we had to, because that's the only way to do things, because we're all related. Same thing, everything has to go through that stage of being one cell, because we are all 
evolved from things that were at one point one cell. So that's it just a thing that has to happen. You gotta be one cell at one point. So that means that all the parts of you, the trillions and trillions and trillions of different cells, are all sisters for each other. They all have the same parent cell, which was your zygote, and they're all sisters. So they're all related. So you could build a family tree of your own cells. Because they have the same code, but they're expressing it differently. So um, that's uh, something I, I think the general public doesn't really think about or understand of how <laughs> Neither do work. we. Neither do we. Embryology oh. is one of the most complicated that's things. That's not what I was just talking about. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry. <laughs> ah, what was I saying? I don't Different remember. expression of cells, which is embryology, which is the forming of a multicellular organism. So even after you've fully developed, every cell, the fact that your cells look different, that your bone cells look different from your uh, red blood cells, that look different from your nerve cells, that's all, they have the same code, but they're expressing it differently. Um, so one of these unique uh, expressions of your cell type makes really hard, strong, strong uh, materials. fibers. Hard materials. Mostly for, collagen. Mostly collagen. Incredible collagen is collagen. the number one protein in your body. It's It can be spongy, but can also be wrapped up. Because we talked about this, how the strands come together. Because remember we were talking about how to print mm -hmm. the leg? Mm -hmm. And you do you do a, a helix in one direction, and you do a helix in an opposite direction, and they, they'll reinforce themselves. So that your, your cells will actually um, excrete strands of collagen in these weird geometric patterns that reinforce them and then they're mineralized as well so within uh within the skeleton right there's really two kinds of bone you talk about two different kinds of bone tissue there's a uh, spongy bone which is super light it's really porous so there's less collagen connections going on between each set of cells because the spongy bone is what's at when you think of your stereotypical dog bone you have that shaft with the two the little knobbies at the end the spongy bone is in the knobbies at the end. And then the, um, the stuff that makes up the shaft uh, is much, much denser and uh, way fewer um, uh, spaces in between the, uh, the material. Cortical bone is the dense outer bone layer. And then the spongy bone is called the can cancellus bone. I can't pronounce that. It's Latin. I don't know it. I've learned a decent amount of Latin roots and stuff being a bio major, though. You learn to at least start to be able to figure things out. Looking back, that's my biggest regret. In high school, I wish I took the Greek and Latin class. It mm. would have helped me a lot in biology. But I took Spanish, and I stink at Spanish. That's something I'd like to talk about at some point, is the ways we teach uh, language and how it's really kind of not working for us. But yeah, if you guys are... If, if, uh, drink. Drinking game. You get a drink. We're talking about future podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so when you talk about the skeleton, there's really two major parts of it. There's what's called the axial skeleton and the appendicular skeleton. So the axial, you think of uh, your axis, your body plane. That's uh, everything that surrounds your brain, your, your uh, spine, and uh, spinal. So you get your rib cage, your spine, your uh, your skull, and you have like what your sacrum. That's the one down here in your hips, and then you have your hip bones. And I think that's the end of the line. And then you have your arms and legs. Woo. So your sacrum, your hip bones, and then all your arms and legs, all your appendages are part of the appendicular skeleton. So they're everything that's attached to the uh, to the axial skeleton. So the skull. So the skull is always something that, like, when you're learning anatomy, uh, when you're little, like when you start learning, if you start learning bone names, people just point to the diagram of the of the head and say that's the skull. But the skull is really made of a bunch of fused bones. It's multiple bones, not just one. It doesn't just all grow as one thing. I like the frontal bone. That's 
very well named. So you have your frontal bone is your forehead. And then you have, uh, for your face, you have your mandible, which is your jaw. Um, then your cheekbones are called uh, your zygomatic bones. So if you feel right below your eye, you can feel there's this really hard ridge. Um, imagine that being the bottom of the eye on a the skull. There's this two matching bones that go right there. Uh, Those are the ones you don't want to break. Don't want to break anything in and around your nose. I've heard it called the death triangle. The death right triangle here. being punched yeah. through the nose, you're saying? I guess so. I just like, if mm. if it, if things break here, you have the chance of bones getting lodged in your brain, which is always a problem. And if you get infections here also, mm. it's a pretty big deal because it's right next to your brain in your, uh, what's the word? Your meninges. So you can get meningitis really easily. So that's why people even say don't pop zits on your nose and around your face wow. in this area. I mean, the chances are low, but if something does go wrong, it's, it's the worst as it can get. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? So the head, the head and the skull, the whole point is to protect all these really important, important features. Your eyes, your, your source of eating, your mouth, um, and of course your brain. So all of these, uh, these complicated features in your skull, you think it's crazy looking, crazy looking bit of bone where something like your femur is just a, a shaft, essentially. Um, it's because it has really important things to protect. Yeah, so your skull... When you're born, when you're a little baby, uh, all of the pieces of bone are not attached to each other. They have uh, cartilage in between. So when babies are forming, at one point, it's all cartilage. And then as the baby develops, a lot of cartilage starts turning into bone. And uh, when a baby is born, uh, you're born with more bones than you have now. Uh, so as you grow, what was once cartilage, uh, I, I think it's called ossifies. So there's a there's a Latin word. Anything that's O O S S like it's os, about bones. is bones. Osteocytes, uh, osteoporosis. Um, uh, I don't I can't think of any more. Osteoarthritis. Yeah, that's a good one. So when you're born, uh, you have more bones, and they fuse to become a, a smaller number of bones. Uh, so some of those it's most include, dramatic in the skull include the skull. So. Uh, you always talk about um, babies having soft spots on their head, right? There's the one, reset button. There's on one the right on the head. top and then right, right in the back. So those soft Big spots one. are called fontanelles. So they're literally gaps in the developing bone plates. So Fontanelles? Fontanelles, yeah. Fontanelles. Because it so, says suture. I've learned suture. I've never heard that word before. So a suture is once the bones come together. They have um, a little zigzaggy shape. Right. So once they fuse, they it's together. a permanent non-moving joint. So it's technically a joint, just like your elbow is a joint, just like your knee is a joint. But um, a non-moving joint. But, but they're solid because it's creating this, um, this one big sphere. So, but why would you have these gaps in your skull as a baby? Well, so first of all, your brain is growing really quickly. So your, uh, your skull can't quite keep up with it. So it has to be able to stretch as your brain grows. Um, and then another important huge function is you gotta fit through a tiny little canal, tiny little space, when, when you're being born, um, and if you had something super solid, that'd be A, get risk of getting stuck, but also B, risk of uh, breaking. So if you have a kind of malleable skull, you can get out, get out, uh, get out of your mom's better. My, uh, <laughs> that should go on a t-shirt. Get out of your mom's better. <laughs> my, uh, my dad was born with a cone head. Really? Yeah, big old cone up the top, because pressure can, um, can push fluid mm -hmm. up through that fontanelle. Nice. Um, so the doctor just went, popped him on the head, and uh, now he's mildly normal looking. 
Just kidding, Dad. There you go, yeah. Mr. Larson. Because I know uh, my cousin, uh, she is a one-in-some-months-year-old. Uh, and when she was born, um, she, my cousin was in labor for, I think, almost a whole day. Wow. It was a long labor. And uh, they eventually had to do a C-section. So she was in labor forever, and they're like, this baby's not coming out. And the reason was is because um, her head had gotten stuck, and so her, her forehead was pressing up against her pelvis. And when she was actually, when they finally took her out, she had like a caved-in forehead. Whoa. So they freaked out, because when they first saw her, like, oh no, is she like, is this baby retarded? They, she, he took some pictures too, my, uh, my cousin's uh, husband. And uh, after like a few hours, she was fine. It could pop right back out, she huh. was okay. Yeah, newborns are super malleable. Babies also, bounce. Babies bounce, but they're not very strong. <laughs> well, because you're not used to holding them, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> dropping all the babies. I've never dropped a baby, for the record, but babies do bounce. <laughs> all right, so back to the skull. The cranial bones are the ones that actually protect your brain. So you've got your frontal bone. You think of your forehead. You have your two parietal bones, uh, which are kind of the ridge at the top of your head on either side. So they're paired. That's the top, top of the head. Then right bones. below them, you think of your, your temples are your temporal bones. And so that ends up connecting with your zygomatic and all your facial bones. So that's a really important area because that's where your ears are. That's where uh, the jaw muscles connect so that you can actually have a working jaw, which jaw muscles are pretty crazy. I have some stuff to say about that. We should talk about muscles though. It'll come up then. But I have something to say about the temporal bone because uh, I read a thing. It was I think it was probably an Ask Reddit, but people were saying, why do you call it the temporal bone? Like it has nothing to do with time. But the explanation that I heard was uh, that's usually where people start going gray soonest. Huh. So that's the temporal bone is because that's the part of your head where your age shows um, most. First. Yeah, soonest. Interesting. So that's the explanation I heard. I have no idea if it's true, but that's how it was explained to me. But if that helps you remember it, guys, yeah. that's, that's great. Then so on the back of your head uh, is the occipital bone. Um, so you think oh, eyeballs? That's weird. So uh, that's where. Actually, I don't know if that's true. Some. It's your occipital lobe of your brain is in the back. Your imaging processing stuff is the back of your brain. So that that bone was named uh, because of that. And then, so those are the ones that are easy to feel and see. But then you have two inside, on the inner part of your cranium. So there's uh, the larger one, uh, which kind of looks like a butterfly. It's called the sphenoid bone. Um, Where is and that? It's, it's really... Here's a picture. It's that. It's back there. It's up in there? Yeah. That's so weird. So the sphenoid and ethmoid bone are, are the part around which everything else is secured. So that's where all of the connections for your eyeballs, um, for the roots of your teeth, for, uh, for your brainstem, um, all of that is fixed kind of around this ethmoid and sphenoid bone. So the ethmoid is smaller. If you imagine not having uh, the cartilage of your nose, it'd look almost like an almond shape, uh, but cut out in the back. So those are the cranial bones. Uh, the facial bones, so everything of your face, we talked about the, we talked about the mandible, which is the big jaw. That's one, one fat old uh, big bone. The middle has these two little holes, kind of you think right where your canines meet the base of your jaw. Uh, they're called the mental foramen. So it's little channels so that your body can get out the blood vessels and uh, nerves it needs for the front of the jaw. That's weird. So that, that's like nerves that are going to the muscles and skin. It's like their little super highway. 
it's almost like you think about like multi-access cable wires being laid under mm -hmm. underground or um, you know, piping going through under a tunnel between cities. Like you have to be able to communicate every signal from your brain or your spinal cord to every other part of your body. Or at least there has to be axons going somewhere. So when you're going through something so solid as your skull, you just gotta make holes. And it's more efficient to just put them in one little place, um, which is pretty crazy. Then you just, so we talked about the zygomatic bones, which are your cheekbones. Your nasal bone, if you think like breaking your nose, it's the part in the center uh, of your nasal cavity. Um, there's more, but I don't remember anything about them. Hmm. Have you read anything about like facial transplants? I have not read anything about facial transplants. That was a thing that people often asked was, so if someone received, was the recipient of someone else's face, would they look like that person? Huh. And the explanation is because of your, um, your bone structure, you won't look like that person. So like mm. face off didn't make sense. Stupid movie, <laughs> but awesome, awesome movie. Um, so you can't, without, without doing a lot of plastic surgery in shaving and reshaping bones, which is super Weird. impractical, um, you can't make someone look like someone else um, without a lot of effort. Uh, so like, so the recipient of the face transplant, uh, it wouldn't look like um, the person that the donor or the receiver, it would be a hybrid of the two. Because huh. you're getting the meat and muscles and skin from that one person, but, not but the you have the bone the structure of that other person and you get something in between. I mean, just like you have taller people or shorter people, uh, red haired, black haired, like there's genetic diversity that we see and think about, but that applies to your facial structure as well and, and how big each one of these individual bones of your skull are. And I think it's easier to think about that or understand that when you consider that the bone I or the skull is uh, a bunch of bones. You want to talk about comparative anatomy? Sure. Um, you do want to talk about that. Yeah. So virtually every mammal has roughly the same bones. They have the same kind. It's, there is um, variation because even between humans, between humans, you can have more or less bones like between us. Like you might have an extra bone or be missing a bone or I might have extra bones or be missing a bone. So there is even genetic diversity, not genetic, well, I mean, it is genetic. There is diversity between humans. Within the species. Yeah, four bones, which is cool. There's also four uh, muscles and stuff too. You can have extra or fewer muscles than other people. So between species, we have essentially the same bones. Like you can look at, you can point to virtually any mammal and go, that's their femur, that's their fibula, that's their tibia. Um, just like that part, different parts of the spine. What are the parts of the spine? You have your cervical spine, I think is a uh, up neckish area. Mm -hmm. And then you have your thoracic spine and then your lumbar. Yep. I don't remember if those are the right words. Those are the right words. Those are, those are words that can be used, but I don't ever remember the, what people would use. We're going to get there because that's yeah. the last part cool. of the skeleton. So when you're talking about comparative anatomy, uh, the difference between, say, human versus any other mammal is that during embryology, the development of that animal, different bones will grow either faster or shorter, uh, faster or slower, bigger, squatter, all kinds of different ways. So they're all growing. They're all that same type of bone, but they're just a little bit different. Because hmm. if you think about like a bat, a bat's wings are their hands. So their finger bones have grown very, very long. And very, very thin. Yeah. 
And that doesn't just hold within mammals. So this is the classic example is the hand. So you think of our hand, then a bat's hand is long and skinny. But that seems very different from, uh, from say, a chicken's hand. But all of those bones that make up our hand, because uh, there are very many bones in there, are just fused in weird, weird different ways. Same with the whale. So the whale looks closer to us, it has the five fingers, but they're flattened out and covered, um, covered with gunk. So the same with the spinal cord. <laughs> gunk, you know, the rest of the body. The, yeah. the gunk. Meat. So whale, whale meat. I hear it's delicious. I've held a, uh, a whale... Um, whale shit. Not, whale, whale shit. Well, I've eaten whale blubber. Shit. But I haven't... <laughs> I haven't eaten whale shit, but I've held uh, a whale's... Uh, Penis. Vertebra. Vertebra. Conjugate your Latin, damn it. <laughs> Because my high school bio teacher, we would talk anatomy and we would talk um, comparative anatomy, and he'd pull out like a dolphin skull and like a cow skull because he had a he had a colony of dermestid beetles. So people would just give nice. him dead things, and he would like feed them to the beetles, and he'd get these perfect clean skeletons out. Um, so he had all sorts of bones from weird animals that he picked up over the, over the time. So he would show us like our our. Um, like a, a human vertebra, and then uh, the whale wanted to talk about, look, it's exactly the same, it's just scaled up. Uh, and yeah, it was awesome. But it then it became confusing though on anatomy test, right? So you studied the human skeleton, and then he pulls out with a, with a rat skeleton, and you're like, well, uh, but because if you can just make the connections between the two, find some landmarks and work your way around, it's all right, but it, it uh, can throw you off too. So the vertebral column then, is the the next part of the axial skeleton. So like we said, there's four different types of vertebrae. There's your cervical vertebrae, which are the ones right around your head and neck. Then your thoracic are all the ones you think about. In your um, thorax. Yeah, in your thorax, in, in your, your midsection. Yeah. Um, then there's the lumbar. People talk about like lower lumbar pains, right? Lower part of your back. And then your sacral curve. Uh, you, you like sit on your sacrum. It's your fused tail, essentially. Your coccyx. Yeah, your coccyx. Yeah. Uh, is a bunch of fused bones that were at one point an elongate tail, uh, which is pretty cool. Still little monkeys. And some people are born with uh, with longer tails where they just didn't fuse. So you just, people are born with tails sometimes, which is cool. It's a big deal in India because they, they believe that, I don't want to say the monkey god, but who knows, there's so many gods. Uh, <laughs> but they're, they're, they, when, they, when they find a kid that is born with a tail, they go, such and such a god, I don't remember who, it's a monkey of some kind, uh, basically um, like blessed this kid with a tail. Huh. And uh, they put, they dress them up, the kid has a pretty um, awesome life, and they, uh, they put him on parade and stuff. So that's just something that happens in India. One huh. of the many, many, many weird things that happens in <laughs> India. Here they'd remove it. Like if one of us was born with a tail, Cut it might it be something that your parents don't even tell you. They're like, oh yeah, we should have a tail. <laughs> we got rid of that real quick. So these four parts of the vertebrae then curve. So you, people talk about scoliosis, right? So it's an improper curve in your back. And it can cause a lot it's of problems. It's curving left and right, right? Not so there's different kinds yeah. of scoliosis that are different directions and different, um, part, different seen sections of uh, vertebrae that are all messed up. So you have four normal curves, and they correspond to the four bone types. Imagine that. Um, but you only have two of them when you're little. So before your load bearing, you only have your sacral curve and your thoracic curve. So really you're holding Lazy up. babies, don't even know how to stand. <laughs> so holding up that really heavy head and then all with your uh, cervical bones and then the whole rest of your body with your lumbar bones, 
that's what develops that uh, those secondary curves. Mother always said the devil's roller coaster is a curvy spine. Uh, a curvy spine is a devil's roller coaster. That was from The Simpsons. Was it? Yeah. Simpsons did it. Yeah, because they did. Uh, it was uh, Principal Skinner, and they I think they X-rayed him for whatever reason. And Doctor Hibbert's like, your spine is completely like straight. It's like Mother always said, the curvy spine is a devil's roller coaster. That phrase means though, watch your posture. Otherwise, you're gonna fall down the slippery slope of sin. Yeah, that's what I've always heard mm-hmm. that meant that thought that meant. I've never heard anyone say that. <laughs> really? Yeah, watch your posture. It's the slippery slope of sin. Oh yeah, you think like like old old time of days when uh, when like oh it makes perfect sense. I've just never heard anyone say it. <laughs> pop pop pop. You wanna talk about cracking cracking knuckles? So what's uh what's up with uh, cracking knuckles? So in between your your bones. Are is cartilage, it's your cushions, your kind of hard, you think almost like motor oil, lets things lubricate, move nice. And then there's also, really closer to motor oil, is the synovial fluid, which actually goes in between, um, in between the bits of cartilage and the bones. And it uh, keeps pressure even, and it makes things glide, and keeps things smooth, just like gears running in a machine. Um, but, so slowly it'll develop bubbles. Uh, and they'll get stuck in between the two bones. And when you crack them, it releases all of those bubbles of whatever gas it nitrogen is. Nitrogen, usually. Is it nitrogen? Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Body gives off a lot of nitrogen. Um, and so you can hear that that snapping. Now, if something like your knee snaps, if you step wrong or your, or your ankle rolls, and you hear a pop then, that's more than likely... Um, you think of like the snap of you snapping your fingers or a rubber band it's it's your tendons moving out of place weird and snapping off the bone so they should like uh, they've got all this held up tense energy and they over over some process uh so that is that noise is probably bad for you but snapping your fingers cracking your back uh, as far as we know it's totally fine there was some some guy i was gonna talk about that yeah i don't know his name either but he did it for decades 40 50 years maybe he only cracked one hand and then they you know doctors looked at him and both his hands seemed very similar so cracking cracking one hand didn't really do anything but that's only one case that's the thing about case studies is you don't get good data off of one case study it's not a randomized controlled trial yeah you can't really say something but it's better than, than nothing. nothing perhaps yeah. But for all we can tell, um, you're going to do worse damage to your hand uh, by Punching playing, walls when you're drunk. Punching walls when you're drunk, <laughs> playing the guitar. You have way more risk yeah. for, for arthritis if you play the, play the guitar. How about the you, piano? Oh, yeah. Any, yeah. Super, you got to be able to stretch really wide. What nice wingspan you have on your fingertips. <laughs> Using uh, computer mouses all day. like You're oh, yeah. way more likely to suffer from something like carpal tunnel than arthritis do from popping your knuckles. So pop them, people. I pop my back a lot. I like it. The the backs of the chairs in our high school were the perfect height. Yeah. I did that too. You'd push against, because the desk was attached. Yeah. You would push against the fixed desk, crack your back. Yeah, I did that also. That was pretty awesome. So cracking your back would be a similar thing, uh, but with your 33 vertebrae. Uh, so we were talking about the four regions. There's seven that are cervical vertebrae, 12 that are thoracic, only five that are lumbar, uh, but they're much bigger. They carry a lot more of the load, but are surprisingly mobile considering. And then you have um, your your sacrum and your coccyx, which are both sets of fused bones, so five and four respectively. 
Can I talk about how acid flashbacks aren't a real thing? So sure. I don't know Go if, for it. I don't know if you've heard this before, but people people who have acid flashbacks, they'll say when they crack their back, that's what triggers an acid, acid flashback. And I've heard all these myths. What's the argument saying, behind that? I've heard all these myths saying that um, when you take acid, that it like deposits itself in your spinal column. And then when you snap your back, you somehow release or activate this old acid and then it gets you a little high again but the the more reasonable explanation that i've heard that um some psychologists have talked about is that our brains hallucinate all the time like we talk about when you see a ghost when you you've i'm sure you've heard someone call your name before and no one's Mm. around like when you have these audio hallucinations your brain hallucinates all the time and so people who have never taken hallucinogen will go, yeah, I was a ghost. Or huh. like, you know, my dead grandmother was talking to me or this and that. They'll, their brain has to rationalize it some way because your brain is always trying to rationalize everything. But, but people, people who, who have, have taken, taken the them, drugs. they go, oh, I just hallucinated for a little bit. And they go, they attribute it to the past times they've hallucinated, which is through chemical means. Hmm. And so that's, that's where they make that connection is that, oh, I just had an acid flashback. That acid caused it. When in reality, it was a natural high and they're a natural like, hallucination. Yeah, and they're like, oh, it must have been from that last time. But they're still aware of it being a hallucination. You know, mm-hmm. like they're, Absolutely. they're still able to make that cognitive jump, yep. which is maybe is just better than talking about ghosts. It's closer, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. Women have more one more rib than uh, men, right? That's a biblical thing. Because Adam pulled yeah. off and give it to there's people who still say that. Hmm. It doesn't make any sense, but people say that all the time. <laughs> So we talked about the skull. We talked about the spinal cord. So the last part of your axial skeleton is the uh, the rib cage. So your sternum and your ribs. So your sternum is the front of your bone. Your solar plexus. Yeah. So tons Mine of muscles. Hurts. I don't know why that hurts so much. Your your pecs connect here. It's, uh, it's any any muscles that come across the front of your body. Super important. It's broken up into three bits. So if you feel right down from your like Adam's apple, you can get these. Uh, that little U shape. Little U shape right between there between your your. Uh... Your clavicle. So that's called your suprasternal notch, super or your jugular, jugular, jugular notch. It's a nice notch. It's a good notch. And then you have your membrium, and then the body of the sternum, Man-brium. and the xiphoid, uh, xiphoid, and then the xiphoid, xiphoid. What do you think? Xiphoid. I think xiphoid. xiphoid process. I've heard of xiphoid process. Then Andrew you... would know. Andrew knows the names of all this stuff. Andrew. Yeah, he's not listening. Where is he? He's disappeared. And then your xiphoid process is the last little bit. and that, So that's where you talk about uh, the muscles that pull up your diaphragm. So your diaphragm is this is this uh, tissue that separates um, the stuff inside inside your rib cage versus the, your stuff that you talk about, your stomach, big air quotes. So your diaphragm, it's shaped kind of like an umbrella. So it kind of, it, it bows up underneath, up inside. Uh, and, and it comes up and over um, things like uh, mostly your all of your intestines. Uh, and when it when it contracts, it naturally pulls itself into more of a flat thing, and that's what pulls down uh, the whole the whole diaphragm, and then that's what inflates your lungs. The thing the thing that they show people is when you take a two liter bottle, cut off the bottom, put a like a balloon or some sort of rubber at the bottom, and then uh, you put uh, like a balloon inside of it, and you pull it down, 
and it will naturally pull a balloon open. I don't know if you've seen that experiment, but that's like the best way to really think about it. That's a really common demonstration that you may have seen. That's how your diaphragm works to pull air into your lungs. Um, Can I talk about some not safe for work stuff? I might cut it, but sure. Yeah, you're gonna have to cut it. So for, for your diaphragm, everything above your diaphragm is um, completely sealed off from the world. At no point is outside air getting near your heart and lungs. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Except for inside your lungs, because that's the whole point. But there, it's uh, completely shut off. And then uh, below your diaphragm, also completely shut off, like where your intestines are and stuff. At no point is open air coming mm -hmm. into that area. But for women, it is open to the air. Below your diaphragm, because um, the vagina goes up to the fallopian tubes, the fallopian tubes are open to the air. So the actual air gets huh. into their lower diaphragm, or below their diaphragm, into their lower um, lower abdomen. Interesting. It's weird. It's weird. Vaginas, vaginas are weird, man. <laughs> we should do a vagina episode. Because people will know what they're getting into if they click <laughs> if on you the click vagina on that episode. One, yeah. yeah, you know what you're getting. Because I'd love to talk about squalene. <laughs> Squalene's my favorite. That's awesome. So what do you know about the rib cage? It uh, it's just a cage. It literally is that. It's keeping all of the organs that I'd like to remain uncrushed, nice and safe in in their little snug little cage. I don't know much about it. They're all fused. Like I know the lower ribs are called false ribs because they're uh, they're made out of um, cartilage, and then there's a lot of cartilage in between. That's all I know. Really. So there's cartilage that connects your ribs to you. We were just talking about um, the bones of the sternum, uh, and then there's cartilage then in the back that'll connect uh, the ribs to the vertebral column. Oh, we have pictures. So the bottom for the so, listeners at home, we have pictures. <laughs> So, Google it. You should Google what a skeleton looks like when you're listening to this. If podcast. you're not driving, you should, <laughs> <laughs> you should you should pull up some diagrams because it's it's way better to look at things uh, and to listen to them. But the fact that you're you know what, 40 minutes into this and you're still listening to us talk about bones means you're probably relatively interested in it. So you or your Sal, <laughs> or your Sal. Hey Sal, Sal's gonna be our our go-to uh, listener name. Love you, man. How's it going, buddy? All the Sal's out there. How you doing today, Sal? Good? That's good. So you were talking about false ribs, right? So uh, the top seven of your ribs are called true ribs. Now that just means they attach to both your sternum and your spinal cord. So they reach all the way around. Whereas all the false ribs um, only connect to those other ribs or the sternum um, by uh, a branched set of cartilage. Uh, then there's two more, the last two, 11 and 12, which are called floating ribs. So they're, they're not even attached at all to the rest of, they're only attached to the spinal column. What good are they? And they're, they're a little, they're probably vestigial. I don't know. It could be that they were important in other body body plans. I'm sure a lot of back muscles attached to them. Yeah, realistically, I don't know. That's, that'd be, if you're curious at home, Sal, you should Google that shit. So that's, that's all of the axial skeleton.